I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. All right, welcome to the sixth episode of the Fundable Founder. Today I have uh, founder and CEO of Board on Track, Marcy Cornell Feist. Welcome to the show, Marcy. Hi, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Great, love to have you on. Uh, looking forward to hearing your your stories and your advice. Um, first off, just tell us your 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 elevator pitch for Board on Track. What is sure. it? Yeah, so Board on Track is a software as a service tool that helps uh, nonprofit boards govern more effectively. And we focus it pretty much on charter public schools was where we got our start. Great, and I'll, I'll admit I'm also a customer, um, even you. though I am not a charter uh, uh, school, uh, we, we do uh, use it for our own personal board meetings at Mass Ventures. Great. So why did you start the business in the first place? Take us back to the origin of, you know, you wanting to be an entrepreneur and launching this business. Yeah, it's great. I, I think back on that often. Um, so I've been a serial entrepreneur. I was a social entrepreneur, uh, meaning that I started not-for-profits. Then the last thing I started was a testing company, which was uh, technically not-for-profit, but generated a lot of revenue. And um, so I was had a consulting business to charter schools and the boards, particularly on the side. And I just had started a lot of things and I was turning down... Um, 20 clients for every one we could handle. <laughs> and so I thought it was time to scale. And I worked on a business plan. It was pretty boring. It was a consulting project. Yep. Um, I was scaling a consulting business. So I thought about maybe how could I leverage what I had? And I put it together a team of advisors who were clients of mine, charter school board chairs and CEOs, and they all were venture capitalists and, you know, and okay. jobs and had that experience. And they said, you should think about starting a SaaS company. And I was like, what's SaaS? And so I thought that was a good way to combine uh, my expertise and my, I was getting bored. I just want to do something new. So, right. Yeah. Well, that, so tell us a little bit more about that journey from deciding to start it. How did you find like co-founders and how did you really get the business off the ground? Yeah, because I had started this, uh, started many things before, um, and I, all the other things I started, I wasn't the technical expertise. Um, I was really good at putting money and people together. I would find people who had brilliant ideas and just kind of put it together and, and get the thing launched and then build it to somebody else could take it over. But this one, I actually understood charter school boards and the kind of the workflows. So I decided, uh, and also I had certain end goals in mind with this one. So I decided to bootstrap it first. I put okay. that team of advisors together and they were venture capitalists and other uh, had funding experience. And they were like, the longer you could bootstrap it, the better when you go to raise money, you better position you'll be. And so um, I used contractors at first and just did proof of concept that way. 
and um, got it to um, a couple hundred thousand dollars of run rate. Um, and then I brought in two technical co-founders because I'm not a coder. Right. Uh, and so I, I think super, not being a coder, supervising contract coders is really hard. It is hard. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, uh, it, it's just, uh, I was really frustrated. I should have had a product manager from the beginning, but um, I've lived in a lot of other countries and I speak all kinds of languages. And I had an advisor say, when you got parachuted into Laos and you spoke Lao to hill tribes, like that's what this is. Like it's a cross-cultural, <laughs> like, and I did just change that. I'm like, oh, they speak a different language. Right. I'm like, so that made it, they were just like another hill tribe for me. <laughs> anyway, that's so yeah. Great. So that, yeah. So your goal great. was to kind of get some customer traction, get some revenue traction, build a team, build a product that was probably a little bit beyond MVP because it was in, you know, you were generating revenue with it before going out to the, to try to pitch VCs on a fundraise. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you had all that traction, you went out, you met with the first four or five VCs and you got a term sheet. No, that's not how it happened at all. So <laughs> we were bootstrapping and I knew I wanted to go raise money. And, um, one of my advisors is, uh, I guess I can name him, is uh, Chris Gabrielli, who yep. um, had helped found Bessemer, and he had been an investor in my last startup. So I went to Chris and I said, he said, I think you just get two angels. And I'm like, no, I like want to go, I want to get real VC money. He's like, I don't think you do. And so he set me up and he totally told me, he said, I'm setting you up. And he set up appointments for me in New York because they didn't want me to screw up here at home where I probably would do the fundraising. <laughs> and I really got the <laughs> crap beat out of me. He told me, he's like, you're gonna hate this. You're gonna come back. And I'm giving you some hard asses and I'm telling them to be hard asses to you. And I flew down on the shuttle to New York and I got down after the first one in the elevator and I called him, he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, well, that was awful. I hate these guys. They're so terrible. And so I came back and then I had, like, it took me out and uh, we had coffee and he's like, so you still want to do it? I'm like, yeah, okay. I want real money. Like, this is like, I, I really want to do it. And he's like, okay. So then what I did is I felt like I wasn't ready. Like, like that proved to me, it was a miserable experience. I wasn't ready in the sense I didn't know how to talk about the company in the right way. Um, and so I needed to go get experience and I applied to Constant Contacts Accelerator mm -hmm. and it was the inaugural class and they took four companies. So I had to do a lot of pitching to get in there. I think the first round there were 50 companies that applied and there was a 20 company pitch and then I got down to a 10. So I, I learned to pitch through that, which was really helpful. And then we got selected as one of the four companies in this inaugural class. And because it was inaugural class, they had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and so they, they said we could give them one problem to solve. And my problem was, I wanna go raise venture capital. Um, so they helped me and so um, teed me up to um, create a pitch deck. And then the same thing sent me around, uh, went to see a bunch of people in town that they knew who picked it all apart, including Gail. And they were just as brutal with me. Um, and so by the time I went out, I think I was much better groomed than, yep. than sort of the average entrepreneur. The other thing you had um, asked in some of your prep notes, um, I participated in absolutely everything that the Capital Network did. It yep. was eye-opening to me, super. It just like took you through it. The sessions were really efficient. The presenters were great. Um, from the, I followed up with a lot of the presenters. So some I really knew, some uh, were just concepts that I was learning at, at Constant Contact. And then Constant Contact set us up so 
they would have audiences. It was just brutal. Like, <laughs> but I felt like we were really, really prepared. And um, I think the best advice I got before I really went out what, from Constant Contact was both to practice the pitch and to um, record myself. Yep. And so I just remember sitting in my home office or at Constant Contact in like this cubicle room and just timing myself and just getting it, getting it down. And I, so what people always said when I would pitch in front of these, and I was thinking about today, pitching must be really different it's a little different online, but it's also easier to record yourself. Yeah, uh, but you can also look at your notes and it's, yeah. it's I think, probably easier. I did a one Zoom pitch um, for Ostia, which is an international, and we were going after Australia and New Zealand. So that, and I found that so much easier than going to a ballroom at Nutter and, like, <laughs> you know, presenting. But anyway, um, I really had it down. And so every time I pitched, people were like, oh, you came in on time right. and it's just like boom 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 and I was like because I practice like yeah. it's just like anything and so that was probably the best advice I think um most people kind of winged it um and then the capital network was just great and then um following up with the people at the capital network so I would call them and say I understood 75 percent this is the part I don't can you give yeah. me like a two and people were super generous and so I felt like when I went to pitch I had learned a new language and I like understood what was going on around me. So yeah, so much of it is learning that new language, right? And yeah. um, and understanding what I mean. So what did you learn along the way as to what you know? How did you change your pitch as you found out what VCs wanted to hear or what they were looking for? Was there a, did it evolve over time? And were there things that you focused more on that kind of got you to the point of where you could get funding? Yeah, I think also I didn't realize um, there are different, so I think there's different kinds of entrepreneurs. And so for thinking about people who might be listening to the podcast, I was an entrepreneur who was always the money person, right? Yep. Like I was always out getting money. I understood how to write and present and I public did a lot of public speaking. I found a lot of my counterparts were the technical people. Right. And they were like, oh my God, you have to do all this stuff. So I <laughs> at least knew that I had to do all that stuff. I had to learn to do it in a different way. Um, I One of the things I started became the largest Earth Day event in the country and it was in the Pacific Northwest. So I had to get Microsoft and um, Starbucks and Boeing and stuff. Like there was like huge pitching and stuff that I had to do. So I was kind of used to that. And this was okay. just like, Diff, like different audience yeah but most of the people in my class at constant contact and then that I would meet on the circuit they were like technical people they were like never had to stand in front of a group ever so <laughs> I think there's some of that so for an entrepreneur to know which which bucket you're in yep. and if you're in that bucket you're really a technical person there's a lot maybe a steeper learning curve and then right. if you're kind of like me it was just sort of tweaking there's an art like you have three minutes to present or 20 minutes you want to like there's an arc of the emotion you want to take people through. Like, there's this awesome thing, and oh, it's really dark. It's really dark. It's really dark. But we can solve it. We can like, there's a, like an art. It's just theater, some of it. Yeah, um, so it is a lot art. like theater. I mean, it's um, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I talk to. To your point, to practicing and learning the language and the art form of it. Um, you, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, to to raise money is you're really selling. You're selling yourself. Yep. And you're, you're selling, trying to, that vision uh, that you have in your head and trying to bring people on board and trust you that you're the right person and it's the right vision. And a lot of that takes performance and takes 
um, the right cadence and the right ups and downs and other things in order to get it right. Yeah, and also knowing um, how deep to go. Like, so if it's an entry pitch versus they're bringing you back, like there's just uh, calibrating it a little bit as part of it. Yeah, and that's uh, a great point about bringing it back. I mean, nobody ever sells an investor on one pitch. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, so your part about what did I learn? I got, yeah. and I, got, I had all these people where I was getting feedback all the time from Constant Contact. But the other piece, so there's kind of different kinds of entrepreneurs and to know which one you are, but there's different kinds of investors. So you keep talking about VC, but in seed stage, um, you're either pitching VCs or angel groups yep. or family offices or probably a combo of both combo, in Boston yeah. when you go to these pitches. And I, how I met people, I might be pitching one group, but there's like there's people like you didn't know, like that's how I met Mass Ventures. Your predecessor, Nick Pappas, was in the audience of some other, maybe an angel group or something I was right. pitching. Like I didn't know that I was pitching him. Yeah. So, there's different, so the professional VCs um, have a certain mode of operating and angel groups, um, if you're pitching to an angel group, it's a different mode. And it took me a little while to learn that. And then different angel groups have different, uh, different personas, yes. let's say. Um, and so getting intel from good advisors, like I remember one day pitching, like there was a group that I knew that they all were medical device people and I'm not medical device, right. <laughs> like how to shape them. There was another group that was all um, really, when you really dug into it, they're really mostly um, entrepreneurs that have a strong uh, base in, they came from Russia and I'm second generation Russian. Okay. So like I knew that, you wouldn't know that listening to me, I don't have the accent, but I knew, I knew that going in and I knew how to play that, so. I think it's sort of understanding the audience. And if you don't like getting someone to tell you that, and I didn't do that the first couple of times. And I was like, oh, if I went to present at a conference, I'd want to know who's the audience, right? Um, and so this is nothing different. And there's definitely people who will tell you like, oh, this group's cranky and they, <laughs> have and they all have their own personas to so just understand it. And then asking the other thing was asking the person who was bringing you there. Nobody wants to waste anybody's time. Someone who's sponsoring you to come feels you're a fit for some reason. Right. And the other thing is though, sometimes they'd say, you're probably not a fit. <laughs> like there's right. like, there five groups, but we needed a little diverse. I'm diversity, right? I'm a woman. So they're like, let's just be honest. This is going to be a hard sell. And I'm like, oh, okay, good to know. I can make jokes about that. I guess. <laughs> like, you know. so, yeah. But I mean, like the core point there is do your research, do your homework. Try to find that level of connection if it exists. And um, I think that goes a long way for sure in the fundraising process. Yeah. Was there I, anything? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, was there anything embarrassing that happened along the way? Like a, a good embarrassing story where you just, I don't know. Not, not necessarily embar embarrassing. I was thinking about that. I think I, I did pretty well, I have to say. But um, there was um, uh, disheartening, I'd say. Um, I, because I've been a, an entrepreneur and I've done all kinds of crazy things. Like I've, I've started nonprofits and, and organizations in Thailand and Laos had a job on the Ho Chi Minh Trail clearing ordinance. And like, <laughs> I've done all kinds of things that you would look at me and not think that that's what I would have done. Um, and so I'm kind of used to just not fitting in or 
I did a master's uh, program that was for mid-career professionals when I was 26. I was like the only one that was, anyway. So <laughs> I'm kind of used to that, but it took me a few pitches to realize, it took me a lot more than a few pitches. Um, it took me pretty far into the journey to realize like the blatant sexism that was happening, which I found really shocking. And that kind of two, there, the, there are two examples where I don't, you wouldn't call them necessarily embarrassing, but, um, I had sat through pitch and pitch and pitch, like been on the circuit with everybody. And I was pitching to a well-known group in town and there were seven pitches and I was number six and I was the only woman. And, but I tend to like tune that all that stuff out. And I was the only one that was generating revenue at that point, like several hundred thousand dollars. Like right. people were paying, like I had a business, like I don't know if it was gonna grow, but right. I was making money. So I, I had more than the PowerPoint slides and everybody else, like all the guys that pitched before me, we had all been pitching the same places. So we all like gotten to know each other and none of them were making money. And I had like uh, one of the things Gene Hammond co uh, coached me on is take out any like cute kid, like, cause this is schools, right? right. Hard ass numbers, hard ass. And my yep. pick was so much more hard ass numbers. And the question out of uh, the first questioner was like, is this a real business or is this a lifestyle business? Uh... And for whatever reason, maybe because it was like the eighth day of pitching, I also, my fundraising was all during Snowmageddon. So like every, <laughs> you remember Snowmageddon, it happened on Mondays. Yes, it so did. It was always the day after. And there's all this drama, like we're going to cancel. Like, so right. by the time I got in the room, I was just like, <laughs> had snow blowing my way there. You know, it's yep. like, come on. So I, it was like, I had been really good. I had like kept my mouth shut day over day over day. And that one standing in that room at Nutter, I just like put my hand on my hip and I looked at the guy and I was like, excuse me. And I named the guys before me and I said, are they generating revenue? I said, no. And I said, what does this slide show you? And they said, people are paying you money. I'm like, this is not a life, that, that's condescending. And I was like, oh shit, no, now they're not gonna me. And the best thing that happened, there was this guy in the front of the room and he started clapping. Good. And he was like, yes, I apologize. Like, I didn't even put that together. And it like, I didn't get money from them. But I, was like, you know, I just felt like I had to say it, it was just like too much. Wow, that's, um, a, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Um, it, it's things like that. I'm glad we can laugh about it now, but what an awful experience for you at the time. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, um, it was. And then, you know, the other piece on this is that um, there was, so I don't know, you know, I don't know how you change these things. So part of it is not, you know, some of it, I felt like you had to just kind of go with the flow and not rock the boat, but some of it just really pushed me. There was a group that I was hoping was going to be my deal lead. Yeah. And the final step was to have, um, it was an angel group. And so they had non, you know, professionals, you know, people that were retired and stuff, um, help with the diligence. And I got taken out for lunch and I was told we're gonna invest in three groups and you're like the one of the finalists and we're gonna be your deal lead. And the last step is like, go out to lunch with this guy and he's our leadership expert. He's gonna interview on leadership. Okay. So I had talked to the two, two, I knew the other people they were investing and we had all been, you know, you see the same people on the circuits. Maybe you don't get to do that in Zoom now, you know, no. hang out in the room or go out for drinks afterwards with everybody. But. Um, so I had talked to the two guys about like, what was it like? And, you know, they were just like, oh, pro forma, it's fine. So I meet the guy for lunch and he takes off his glasses and he's like, well, I'm here to interview you. The final diligence step is to test your leadership. And I was like, 
great. Like, yeah. what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and he took out his glasses and was like, so tell me about your children. And I said, no, I have awesome, I do have awesome kids and I'm a like really good mom, but that's not, that's not, we can talk about that later. Right. But I don't want to talk about that. Right. And he got all flustered and said, you know, my wife's a working mom. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but that's not why I'm here. Like, no. I, and um, I was able to kind of turn him around like with humor, but he then, he was mad and they actually, I sabotaged the deal and they, yeah. not my, not my lead. Well, so it, but probably a good thing in the long run, right? Because you wouldn't have wanted to necessarily have a long-term relationship with yeah. an organization that thinks that way. So, yeah. So those were kind of shocking things to me. I think, I think about our town as being so liberal and yeah, uh, that we wouldn't, you wouldn't experience those things, but that's such as life. And I think the best advice I got after that was, um, get out of town. So I went to New York. I went back to New York after this is where our story started, right? Where I got beat up and I got some great appointments in New York. I found, um, you know, Boston is a great town in that, um, and we were in the constant contact accelerator and it's super tightly networked, as you know, yep. but it's also super tightly networked and uh, <laughs> that's a detriment as well. Right. Um, and so I went to New York and that kind of turned every, everything around. I raised some money in New York and then came back with the money from New York. And that made people in Boston go like, wait a second. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, any parting words of wisdom be, that you, you haven't shared with us? No, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's as soul sucking and <laughs> hard and necessary. Um, and I think just kind of, it's just, a, it's just an important part of the process. But I think what you were saying, Charlie, is true. I think um, there ha were groups that we met along the way that I'd come back and we really wanted, like we were ready to fundraise, like we really needed the cash. And this is them on their best behavior. Right. Like, and this is like, these people could be at your board table for really through ups and downs. These are people that you're gonna need through ups yep. and downs. So yep. as much as you kind of just wanna take everybody's money's green, but I don't, I don't think, I think you need to find people who are a fit that are gonna be helpful to you, right? And supportive and, cause it's a, it's a tough journey. The fundraising is just the beginning, right? The fundraising is just the beginning and, it, and the fundraising continues throughout as well. And the relationship with the board is important, like you just said, so. Yeah. Um, all great words of wisdom. One last question for you. How would you describe yourself in one word? Ooh, one word. Um, tenacious, I guess. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the all program right. today. Good luck with Board on Track. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.